Intimacy versus intercession. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. We are continuing our series on intercession. And yes, we will take a break from this series in the coming weeks, but we will come back to it in the future. But today we are going to focus on exactly what I said at the beginning, intimacy versus intercession. So are these things opposed? Like when you think of intercession, quite often you think of going into a church. Maybe there's a bunch of older folks there, or maybe it's, you know, it's more common to have younger folks in intercession meetings these days. The Lord's raising up the prayer movement, so we know that. But there's often, it's often associated with this intensity where you're in the prayer room and you're just going hard. You're you're knocking on heaven's door, <laughs> waiting for the Lord to open it up and, and just explode with revival. Like There's intensity in it. You don't often think of intimacy, you know, where you're just opening up your heart to the Lord. It's like, oh, Lord, you're so good. I love you. Like, we don't often think of that as intercession. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Are they are they different? Are they opposed to one another? Or are can we kind of combine the two, you know? So we are going to continue this conversation, and we have a bunch of people at the table again. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. And today we have Harv again. Hello. And Jaden. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us again to continue this amazing conversation on intercession. So Brian, you had a bit of a story you wanted to share with us today. Can you go ahead and just set the stage for us on how you can sort of mesh these two ideas together? Yeah, I think for myself, having been now in the house of prayer for about 11 years, I, I definitely feel a calling on my life as a revival intercessor and... I think my passion at some point is is I don't want to be someone who just keeps talking about stories of revival. I don't want to just keep talking about stories of God moving in power from 100 years ago. I want to see it now. As an intercessor, it's it's not, you know, I almost get frustrated sometimes when I'm in certain settings and I'm I'm telling some of these stories and I'm frustrated just in the sense it's like, I'm so tired of talking about what happened in a revival 60 years ago where God came in power and he shifted things in the heavenly realm and thousands of people came to Christ, stuff like that. I want the stories of today. And so as an intercessor, I started asking myself the question, okay, what's it going to take to see revival come? And so I, w- I was reading in the Gospels of, of John, actually, and you know the, the famous verse, John 14, verse 12, where Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And which I love that. Like, I love that promise of the greater works in these. But right after that, I, and I, it really hadn't stuck out to me before, it just says, and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And Jesus is talking here about this place in prayer, a real place in prayer we can go where the Father will do whatever we ask in his name. And I started asking myself the question, how do I get from where I am to there? What's the process? Like this... Jesus wasn't just throwing this out randomly, you know? And then I I kept on reading, and in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus talks about the same reality, and he talks about that we can ask him for anything, 
and, and he will do it so that we can bring glory to the Father. And then in John chapter 16, he mentions this idea again. So three times in three chapters, he talks about this place in prayer where there's a real breakthrough that's coming. And so now he really had my attention. It's three times in three chapters, but really it's three times in, in one conversation. He told them he would do whatever they asked in prayer. And so now I'm thinking as an intercessor, I'm like, okay, well then what's required? What do I need to do to see this level of breakthrough in prayer? I'm, it's just a really practical question because I'm, I'm serious about seeing revival coming. And, and it, kind of the light goes on in my head. Well, right in the middle of John 14 and 16 is John 15, which is all about abiding in him. It's about intimacy. And, and this light went on in my head and I'm like, ah, oh, the key is to abide in him. And as soon as I had that thought, the Holy Spirit said so clearly to my heart, oh, so that's why you want to be close to me. And he just, he nailed me. He just got me, you know, like I'm, I was going about the whole thing from the wrong direction of like, okay, how do I pray impactful prayers? How do I see power released? How do I see the kingdom of God come as an intercessor? And then the Holy Spirit is like, you're asking the wrong questions. It's all about intimacy with Christ. It's all about him. Thanks for sharing that story. It's it's so real because you're going after the revival. You're going after the breakthrough. And these are good things. These are things you want to see happen. And yet the Lord's confronting you saying that can't be your goal. That can't be as though you would use your relationship with Christ to get these kinds of promises, to get this kind of access to the Father. That that can't be the the goal or or somehow these can't be separated. And I think that's there's just such a stark reality where we don't always, I don't think I could have put it in, in words as clearly as you just did. And so thank you for that. That's that's a really clear message that I think we all need to hear, even as we begin this discussion, that they have to be rooted together, that you can't go after the one as if you're just going to use the other one to kind of, you know, slide on in. So if we're not supposed to go after intimacy as some magical key that will unlock our, our intercessory powers, then what is, what is even intercession? How do we go about this whole process? I think for me, a, a key piece was, uh, and that the Lord has continues to speak to me, is that it all starts in intimacy. Intercession has to flow out of our relationship with God. And so that that really reorients the way that I approach prayer. My, my natural personality, and probably for a bunch of you who are listening, and there's different personalities, but there's a bunch of us for sure who are, who are listening right now, and your natural reality is we're a doer. We want to we wanna do something first, and so we think the, the doorway into everything is, okay, well, there's a problem. We got to solve it. How do we do it, right? And there's a lot of really good things about that personality because problems do get solved then um, by people who are trying to solve problems. It's helpful, except that God is more than a solution to our problems. God is more, as, as uh, Jehu kind of said, like he's, intimacy is more than a tool that we use to get something that we want from God. In fact, it kind of cheapens the whole thing. It's like, you know, the Bible uses this bridal language and it's like marrying somebody because, I don't know, maybe you want the inheritance money from their parents or something like that. Like it's, it's oh, it's, it's just the thought of that is just a horrible idea of how could you treat, treat something so sacred, so flippant. And so, when I think about that then for myself as an intercessor, and I'm passionate about revival, that's, that's kind of my thing, but I, I don't want it to be my, my one thing. You know, I want intimacy with Jesus first. And so one of the ways in, in our house of prayer that we've tried to help people keep things in right perspective is, is we've used this definition of intercession as joyful, affectionate agreement with God. And so um, maybe, Harv, when, when we use that language of joyful, affectionate agreement of, with God, what does that mean to you? I think we try to understand what is intercession and what is worship and what is praise. And so 
for me, worship is gladly agreeing with God about who he is. I take scripture and I tell God, I gladly agree with you about who you are. Praise for me is gladly agreeing with God about what he's done, things he's done, people's lives he's changed, events that have changed. And then to me, intercession is gladly agreeing with God about what he will do. So joyful, affectionate agreement with God about what he's going to do. Sometimes we come to intercession sort of with the unspoken perspective that God is kind of half blind and half deaf and kind of slow. I don't mean to be irreverent. And it's like he doesn't understand how bad it is down here. So I have to really explain things to him. And he's hard of hearing, so I have to be really loud. And he doesn't get the logical sequence of what will happen if things don't get better. So I have to tell him that if things don't get better, it's going to get really bad here. And that's really not good. So you should do something about it. And so I, I work hard to convince God of this because he really, he's not really listening and he's got to see how serious I am. And if he really sees how serious I am about this, why, then he's got to do something. I'm sure of it. And that's exhausting. (laughs) We hear that in prayer sometimes where people don't actually pray, but they kind of explain all the issues and problems when they're, when they're praying in front of people and like, are they trying to convince God or are they trying to convince those in the room? Sometimes it feels that way. It's like prayer explaining, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we're, We're explaining to God how things really are as if somehow we want revival more than he does. And that's the key, Brian, is, is it's like he doesn't understand how badly it needs to happen. So we need to convince him because we certainly want it badly. And if it's not happening, that must mean that he doesn't really want it badly. So we've got to explain it to him. And it comes back to that first episode where we want to have a right understanding of God and who he is and how his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, right? And I think what you were touching on, Dad, that's a key point, is when it's not happening and during the delay of intercession, what do we kind of fall back on? Because in some ways, if we're not seeing the results of a revival of people getting saved, then we can kind of start to ask ourselves the question, why are we doing this? How long are we going to continue to pray for? If it's already been 10 years, are we going to pray for another 10 and be willing to spend that time before God in prayer? And like we need the intimacy to fuel us during those times and during the times when we are seeing God pouring out the Holy Spirit. But I feel like there's there's a point there where we do need the intimacy. Well, that's the thing. Like There's that intense intercession that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode and is that really sustainable to go for many, many years? When you're praying for a revival that may not take place 10 years from now, we're hoping it takes place next year, but if it doesn't, can you sustain those intense prayers where you're just really pressing in? Personally, I find that exhausting, and, and I've done that before, and there was a point where I saw someone, I think it was on the IHOP web stream, where they were up there and... Like usually you'd see a lot of people with intensity and shouting and those are really impactful, but I was really impacted by this one person's prayer where it was really just very tender and it was soft and I just felt the intensity in that in that tenderness because they, they just had this tender heart of intimacy with the Lord and yet it was just so raw and so real and I felt like, man, I can sustain that because their heart is tender before the Lord and they feel his they just feel the the tenderness and the intimacy of the Lord's joy and love upon their heart. If you can rest in that in intercession, that will sustain you for many, many years. And that's part of what my heart is. I'm kind of speaking as a dad here, uh, having been in the prayer movement for a number of years and seeing 
the exhaustion that comes from unrelenting intensity and knowing you can't sustain it. So it's my heart that we in, in the prayer movement across Canada, but also the ones who are coming in, those who aren't yet saved, those who are in the 20s and teens and those who are six, seven, eight years old, that when they come to know Jesus and they come to understand intercession and worship and praise, that they come into something that they can sustain for decades. Something that it's like hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if you're, if my hope is entirely in change versus being in Jesus, then when it doesn't happen after five years or 10 years, there's a tendency to walk away from God and kind of go, well, what was that all about? I gave you all those years. I gave you my vocal cords. You know, I gave you all that. You didn't do anything. And so there's there's a bitterness that can creep in. And you walk away from God, and I'm like, as a dad, I'm going, no, I don't want that. I want people to stay soft and tender and in love with Jesus more and more as the decades of intercession pass. I, that's what I want. I want joyful, affectionate agreement with God. And, you know, God, I don't understand why this did or didn't happen. But you know what, God? I love you. I You are amazing. And would you, as friend to friend, I'm, I'm asking, would you change this? Because I think this is on your heart. My understanding is that this is on your heart. This is scriptural. So I'm asking you, as friend to friend, like that tender prayer that you, you reference, Johan, God, would you change things? And there are certain things I know you will change, God. And so I am agreeing with you now. It's going to happen. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. And I'm saying right now, that's a good idea, God. Your idea was a good idea. I'm I'm lining up on your side of the fence, and so I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm saying I, I put my I put my my stake in the ground. I go, yeah, that God, that was a good idea. It's it's going to happen, and when it does happen, I'm just going to be happy with you. So that affectionate, joyful agreement is important for sustained long periods of, of prayer. Like especially if you're going to be in the prayer room, like you want to have oil in your lamp and you want to have your heart burning. So why do we yell then? Are there, are there, is there a place for that? Like, not necessarily yelling, but just like the intensity where you're going up to the mic and you are shouting. I mean, I know many leaders and I've probably done it myself. So why do we do that? I know Brian Neister, you, you're a good example of this. Not on the negative side, you are intense when you pray. And quite often it's loud and it's intense. And I love that too. So where's the place for that in, in our prayer meetings? I think it's, and, and I love that our, our starting point in our in our house and our ending point as well is is joyful, affectionate agreement because I believe that's what plumb lines our heart. It, it's a, it's the knowledge of God. It's knowing who He is. It's knowing His character. Because as soon as we forget that, we get into trouble, and we start putting our own projections onto God, and we get frustrated, and we allow our emotions to run run the course of things. And and part of the way that I, that I pray as an intercessor, part of it is just my personality. And so different people are wired differently. And I tend to be an intense and passionate person, and I can be passionate about all sorts of things. And so that that's just partly who I am before the Lord. But what I'm after when I'm praying, especially in, in intercession, what I'm, what I'm after, and I mentioned this a little bit on one of our earlier podcasts, is I'm asking the Lord before I go and pray, what do you feel about this? What's your heart? And in Hebrews, it, t- it talks about how Jesus, when he was on the earth, he prayed with loud cries and, and tears and intercessions. Like it was, it was loud. It was, it was something else. It's like Hannah praying for Samuel to be birthed. Like she was, she was praying and it was intense and it was like, it was messy. And, and I mean, the Psalms are filled with messy prayers. And so there, there is a place for that. But, but in my mind, what I'm after is I want to connect with his heart. 
I do not want to pray the agenda of Brian over Winnipeg. I don't want to do that. That's when we start getting into trouble because then we start thinking we know better than him. And so on my, on my best days of intercession, and we all have days that aren't our best, but on my best days, what, I, what, I, what is really on my heart is I want to feel what he feels. I want to feel his zeal for the, for the lost. I want to feel what he feels about the meth crisis in Winnipeg. I want to feel what he feels about five or 600,000 people in the city who don't know him. I want to feel what he feels. Like I, I'm, I'm after partnership. I'm after connection. I'm after intimacy with him. And then I want to pray from that place. And so for me, that means that I'm actually looking for my emotions to touch his emotions. And that doesn't always happen. And he's so good. He hears our prayers all the time. So it's, it's not like, it's not that you have to work yourself up into this thing, but I honestly just want to connect with his heart. And I think for me, that's where the, the passion comes from. And so I, I get passionate, but like, I believe he's a passionate God. But again, I'm not trying to twist his arm. I, I don't think that, that when I pray loud, now because I'm loud, he hears me better. He hears me just as fine when I'm quiet. But now my heart is engaged. My mind is engaged. I've been listening to the Holy Spirit. What's on your heart? I've been trying to, to connect with him in a deeper way. And so that does change the way that I pray. I think you really hit on it there. It's the engagement piece. When you're at your best, when you're a healthy intercessor, you're not yelling because you're trying to make God hear you. Oh, absolutely not. No. You're yelling out of an engagement. That that intensity, that volume, that that you know, passion, sometimes the tears, that's engagement. And for me as someone in the room, if I see that as as the healthy intercessor from you, Honestly, it's really encouraging. I can jump in on that. If someone's on the prayer mic and they are passionate, like there's always a couple people I know when they get on the prayer mic and if they're crying and if they're yelling and because I know them on a personal level and I know that they're not trying to work something up, but they've touched the heart of God. For me as someone in the room, I am instantly engaged. That person is able to bring me into intercession. I'm able to to partner with them. I'm, I'm looking at them and saying, I can see the emotions of God in you. And now I'm starting to touch that. And oh God, would you come break in over our city? For me, that's that's a piece of engagement. It's almost like a tool that we're we're using as a corporate body to try to try to touch the heart of God. That's how I see it in, in the healthy context. And and I think you totally hit on it. It's engagement. That's what we're that's what you're you're really demonstrating. So what what do you do when someone isn't built like you, Brian, who doesn't have that same, you know, is plumbed differently? Yeah. Do my prayers because I'm not loud or crying, or do or do my prayers matter less? Does God hear them? Does He hear them less? Or like, because I, I feel it's certainly easy to feel intimidated by somebody who's on the mic, who's comfortable enough with their emotions to display their emotions, whether it's crying or yelling or whatever. So if I'm not built that way, or I'm not comfortable that way, I, I, I can feel intimidated. Yeah, and and, and I would say like a hundred percent no. Like there, and I. I'm always so careful because I, I am in quite a few settings where I'm teaching like young adults or even high school students and, and helping them grow in prayer. And I'm always so careful to say like, don't, like you do not have to look at all like me because it's not about volume. It's about your heart connecting with him. This is how my, for me, my heart connects with him. When I'm praying, when I'm having an intercessory time at home, I'm, I'm louder than I am in the prayer room because I realize I need to, I, you know, I, I try to tone it back a bit and, you know, I, <laughs> I'm usually talking quite loudly, I guess, is where I get. I, I sometimes get into the, the shouting a little bit, but it's but when I'm at home, that's how I pray too. It, it really is. It's, it's actually, my, my heart connects with him. I come alive, but, 
but the volume of my voice and 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 as if you're listening to this as well like the volume of your voice has nothing to do with the power of your prayer and how articulate you are when you're praying as well because this is often another thing right like where people often feel like oh man like this this person is so good at praying i'm just horrible at praying which is just a silly thing to say because it's not about a speaking gift that means that anyone who's a public speaker and has a gifting in that is somehow better at praying like that that's just that's absolute nonsense but it's but it's a lie that comes against us and it's it's simply not true and even if you're listening to this right now and you sometimes feel like in your house of prayer or in your prayer meeting like you're a you're less of an intercessor cuz you don't sound as good when you're leading in prayer like that's just silly like i think about like like how are my prayers ever going to impress the god who did genesis 1:1 you know <laughs> like the Genesis one God, my prayers are never going to be that impressive to a God who spoke a word and he flung galaxies in place. They're just not. He's looking at our heart. And so that's so important to understand. Like, be yourself when you're praying. You do not have to be like, like somebody else and find the way that you connect with the Lord and don't feel like you have to apologize for it. Some of my favorite people, this is kind of goofy language, but it's real language, right? Some of my favorite people to hear pray, one of them, um, Jessica, who is been a part of this this podcast a number of times. And one of the things I love when she prays is that there's just so much joy that bubbles out of her when she prays. She's one of the happiest intercessors I know. And, and, and she feels a full range of emotion when she prays, but there's so much joy that comes out of it. And I think of someone else who was one of our interns and was a part of our community for a while and is doing some missions work right now, Rachel, who she would pray like just these theological prayers that were so beautiful and moving. And it wasn't the way that I prayed at all. Like I just, I prayed differently than her, but every time she prayed, I just felt like my heart moved and it's like, oh my goodness. And and then I think if my heart gets moved by someone else encountering God, how does a father feel? And he uses a completely different criteria. And I think you're touching on something, Brian, that, that I've heard talked about previously. And I find is a really helpful paradigm in a group of people who pray, whether it's two, three, four, or more, everyone has a voice. Every, everyone prays a certain way. I know that when so-and-so gets on the mic, they will pray about this thing because this thing is close to their heart or they'll pray this particular way. And so you see a, a vast array of different ways of articulating it publicly, different themes, different things that burn on their hearts. And so together, there's like this tapestry of prayer that arises before the Father, and we bring our own peace. And if if I look at it, rather than saying, well, I'm not like that, therefore I'm disqualified, but if I say, no, my, instead, my peace that I bring is very different from what you bring. Mm-hmm. However, together we are a voice. We're a corporate, we're doing this as family. Like, we're friends, we're family. We're, we're not disparate, separate pieces doing things. We're doing it together. And again, I'm thinking of different prayer expressions across Canada when I'm saying this. is There's different ones doing it together, and your voice matters. It really matters because nobody can approach the Father with the same thing that you bring. Nobody else can do it for you. And if your voice isn't being heard, it's not being heard in heaven. If you don't bring that to the table, it's not being heard. So your voice matters. Your way of seeing the world matters. Your way of seeing God matters as you express it. If you don't pray, there's less incense arising before his throne. Totally. Right? 
and, and not just less, your unique incense won't be offered. Yeah. It, you are the only person who can love Jesus with your heart. Yeah. And so there's that, that unique dimension that you get to love God. You get to pray to God. You get to ask the father as a unique individual. You're, there's only one of you. When you think about our prayers arising like incense and filling the bowls in heaven, it really, it, it puts an importance on our individual prayers and it really drives us to want to pray. And I, I actually love how there are those, those tender prayers and there are the intense prayers because I think it actually represents God's heart because he has a torrent of emotions himself where he's so intense, yet he's so tender. And I just think that's a reflection of his people, the way we pray, sometimes with intensity, sometimes with tenderness. And I think we started off talking about intimacy versus intercession. And I think we're beginning to see how they come together because God is both the intercessor and he is the most intimate bridegroom at the same time. It's, it's a reflection of who he is. And so I think it, it can be helpful if we, as you said, Johan, if we don't think of intercession as a particular thing that we do as much as it's an expression of our relationship with God. Yeah. And so we move between worship and intercession effortlessly. Like we we ask for something, then we move into worship and we say, oh God, you're awesome. I love who you are. And oh God, you're awesome because you're, the things you're going to do. And so we, we, we move back and forth. And it's not a... Uh, well, now I'm going to put on my intercessor, you know, work jacket and my my flag and my, you know, my... Shofar. La- shofar, thank you. And my bullhorn, and I'm going to now intercede. I, I've i told God how, how much I like him, so but now I'm going to tell him what he needs to do. It's it's I like for there to not be that dichotomy in our heads and for it to be much closer together. I think they're, they're like opposite sides of the same coin, like worship, intercession, intimacy, intercession, opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah, so even off of what Harv was just talking about was about like the like not separating intimacy and intercession into these two completely different like camps. I think probably there's going to be a few people listening to this podcast who are who are like me and you're going to understand this in in a moment, but if if you sometimes would would far rather be in an exciting loud prayer meeting than you would in a in a quiet time with your Bible open singing love songs to Jesus, it's good to ask yourself the question what am I in this for? And, and, and it's not a, it's not in any way a, a rebuke, but it's an, it's an encouragement to you that, man, we, we got to know the King and not because we have to, and it's a rule, but because he is so much better than anything else. And I, when I think about the heart of praying for revival, really what I'm asking is for Jesus to come. That, that's really what I'm asking for. I just want Jesus. I just want to be close to him. And if the presence of Jesus comes to Winnipeg, revival is going to come. When his manifest presence comes, he's going to deal with the meth crisis in our city. He's going to deal with human trafficking. He's going to deal with disease. He's going to deal a, a, a blow against cancer and wipe it out of our city. He's going to do those things when he comes. And so, But if we have a city where there's no murder and there's no crime, but Jesus' presence isn't here, it's not good enough. Because I'm not after revival, I'm after Jesus. I, I want to be near to him. I've tasted his presence and there's nothing like it. And like, yeah, a crimeless city would be a great thing, but way better than that is a city where the manifest presence of God comes and I just want him. And, and that means that if, if I really believe that, boy, then, then how I spend my time in the prayer room is going to reflect that too. And how I spend my time during the week is going to reflect that too. And my life should reflect that too. 
And honestly, it's one of my favorite things about being in a, in a house of prayer is being around a group of people who honestly, I think, for the most part, get it way better than I do. And I watch them and I get provoked. I'm like, oh yeah, there's one thing that really, really matters and it's to know him and everything flows out of that. And I love that. This has been a provoking conversation. Just, oh, I, I, I'm just falling more in love with him and I don't know. I just love talking about the tender heart of God and the intensity of intercession, just combining the two because it reflects him and I love him. So this is good. But we got to wrap up this conversation. There are more intercession series coming up, just not in the coming weeks. We're going to take a bit of a break. Of course, we're going to keep the podcast going. But before we go, it is time for another... Wait, what does that mean? So this kind of ties in a little bit to what we're talking about today. Our word or phrase, today it's a phrase, is bridal paradigm, something you hear very common in this in this prayer movement. So Brian, if you're a new person coming to the prayer movement, you walk into the room and they start talking about this bridal paradigm, what are they talking about? I'm so glad you asked me about this question. Probably when I was around eight, nine years old, we got a horse and her name was Lady. She's Palomino, beautiful horse, just gentle um, character, good-natured animal. And, you know, I honestly, I wasn't the best at riding her. My brother was a lot better, but but I, I learned a few things along the way, took some 4-H. And so, you know, it's really important when you're um, getting a horse ready that you put the saddle on properly, you cinch it all in place. And then, of course, you want to make sure that that bridle is on properly as well. And to do that, you just need the proper bridle paradigm. Um, if you put that bridle on backwards or if there's a little bit of pinching um, by some of the lips or some of the gums, that horse will not respond to your commands as well. And so um, you just need the proper bridle paradigm to enable you to ride on that thing. And Jesus is returning on a white horse. Exactly, with the great bridle paradigm right there. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the wrong definition of bridle paradigm, but a definition. Jehu, do you have the correct definition for bridle paradigm? So when we're talking about paradigm, we mean a way of thinking could be similar to the way you put something on a horse, but we're, we're thinking about a worldview, a perspective, a lens of viewing something. And when we say bridal, we're talking about the image of God as a husband oh. being married to his chosen people, to Israel, to the church, to the bride of Christ. And so God is our maker, but he's also our husband. And so the bridal paradigm is figuring out, getting the worldview right, that as believers, we are are in a relationship that's not just father and children, but there is husband and wife. There's this mystery of being the bride of Christ, of being in a marriage relationship with God. And so that's what we mean when we say bridal paradigm. It's this worldview of the church being the bride of Christ. You could probably do a full episode on bridal paradigm. I think CBITS has probably covered it somewhere in there. Just a shout out to them. Great podcast. Great. That, good definition, Jehu. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> so if you want to find more information on the podcast, visit our website at burningrooms.ca. And we started a Patreon. So if you want to partner with us and help keep this podcast going, we need to upgrade some equipment so that we can actually get you this podcast and keep it running. You can enjoy many benefits of being a partner with us, a patron. Uh, so check the show notes on how to get involved with that or go to our website burningrooms.ca we also have an instagram page the burning rooms podcast uh, you can find us on facebook as well but instagram's great because we got an awesome person running it 
Thank you, Danica. So until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. I'm Harv. And I'm Jaden. And this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast.